0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, uh, Ricky Lee. That was a perfect, that prayer was a perfect introduction for the Word today. We're grateful for uh, the churches in our area that Preach the gospel. One of the things that Allison and I do almost every Sunday on our way over is not only to pray for the services at Grace, but to pray for the gospel to go forth clearly with all of the churches that Ricky mentioned and several more in our area that we're aware of. And I'm sure there are plenty of churches that we don't know about that are preaching the gospel in Wake County, Harnett County, Johnston County, Lee County, all over the place. So we want to pray for those um, gospel witness uh, from the pulpit on Sunday mornings and also from the music and from the announcements and everything that happens in those churches to be effective. We do want to pray for the uh, Matusis. What a sad thing to lose Patrick. He was on a motorcycle. Someone turned in front of him. Uh, and it, illegally, in fact. And so we want to pray for that person who did the turning in front of him as well. What a sad, just a whole sad situation. And uh, for Dominic and Megan as well as for Mike and Jacqueline. Be praying for them. And and this Thursday, we are going to remember a lady who was as ready to see the Lord as just about anybody I've ever known. Ellie Wall. masks are highly recommended on Thursday morning. That will likely be our recommendation. When we move, we're able to move back inside as well. Masks will be highly recommended unless you're in a speaking role. So, as it was also mentioned this morning, services move to 11 a.m. We hope to be able to meet outside through the month of November. And it'll be a little warmer at 11 than it will be at 10, so... We will meet at 11 o'clock next Sunday morning. It's been a while since I've seen a lot of you outside because I believe I was preaching here just the Sunday before last week when we went to the mountains and I was gone then. So I'll look forward to seeing you mask to mask next Sunday morning outside. So let me begin the message this morning by asking a question of you. Have you seen, since Disney Plus put Hamilton... The Broadway play Hamilton Online. Have you seen it? It's really great. I um, need to tell you that a few years ago, Allison and I were going to be visiting with family in New York. And as a surprise, she got tickets at the Rogers Theater for Hamilton. Now, look, I don't want you to be jealous. Not only was it not the original cast, but we were all the way back on the 16th row, elevated. I mean, you know, it's like the stage was right there, but don't, don't think about that. Look, I have long been interested in history, and the American Revolution holds a particular fascination for me, and I, I would guess I'm not alone in that. I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of you have interest in the events and the ideas and all of the activities surrounding the American revolution. There are a few lines in Hamilton that caught my attention that have to do with living and dying and taking a stand. Uh, in one song, Alexander Hamilton asked Aaron Burr, if you stand for nothing, Burr, what will you fall for? Now look, that's, that, that's a cliche that's as old as the hills, or it's a, it's a statement that's as old as the hills. But it's one that we need to consider, and the text is going to drive us to consider. And it's it's well placed in the production. In another place, Alexander Hamilton, professing his readiness to die, is practically begging George Washington for a commission to lead a regiment into battle. And Washington says to Hamilton, Dying is easy, young man. Living is harder. Once again, a cliché but profound nonetheless. Both sentiments will find a place in today's message. Not in the place of the Word, but as an example of the focus to which the Word calls us. I'd planned to be in another passage of Scripture this morning, but it seemed best to continue our series on conform to the image of God's Son, Jesus Today's text, Romans 12, 1 and 2, you see 1 to 13 on the screen, and I will explain that in just a moment. But today's text has been preached as much as any text in Scripture, probably, in the New Testament era. It's also been preached many times here at Grace Community Church, the most recent being July 19th of this year, in this series, when... Dr. Calvert preached his excellent message titled, Mercy, Worship, and Transformation. If you're wondering why I would revisit this text so soon, you should know, again, that I had planned to preach all the way through verse 13 with just a short stop in the first two verses. And the the plan was then uh, to preach next week from Romans 12, 14 to 21. But I just couldn't get past verse 2. Especially thinking about the setup for next Sunday morning. Here's the thing about Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you assign this text to 10 different preachers. And nobody could consult with the others to see what they were writing. And you had them preach 10 weeks in a row. You had to write your sermon out before the preaching ever began the first Sunday. And then you preached that text 10 weeks weeks in a row you would be amazed at the variety that would be preached from this text without in any way doing damage to the text since this is a topical series I'm gonna mix it up a little bit I'll preach next week from Romans 12 14 to 21 and then the following Sunday go back and pick up verses 3 through 13 so why this order well today and next Sunday I'll be preaching about the cost of being a Christian as God conforms us to the image of Jesus. God molds us into Jesus' image through our commitment to Him, our commitment to the body of Christ, and our commitment to the lost, even though the world system is committed to opposing slash preventing the spread of the gospel. There is a price to pay for following Jesus. And the cost for following Jesus may rise sharply in the coming years. Already we have been marginalized. Obviously, this is online. Anybody can see this. I don't think this would be blocked, but anybody can see this. Right now, but we may soon find ourselves confronted with more direct opposition. How serious is our plight? Well, I will speak more explicitly next week, and I, I wanted to warn you, in case you think it better to process, first process what I'm saying, and then pass it on to your children in a more filtered Version. If we were in normal times, the, the children would be in the back of this building during the sermon time. But in so many ways, these are not normal times. The reason I plan to skip to the second half of Romans 12 next week is that I want to talk about the potential for increased persecution before the election. Not because the election may impact our immediate future. But, in fact, because this election, regardless of the outcome, will have limited and temporary effect on the trajectory of our nation's apparent commitment to silence the voice of believers, which, if you understand Scripture, you will know is an attempt to silence the voice of God. Make no mistake about it, no matter where you land on a lot of the issues, this is not just a thing we're struggling with. This is good versus evil or more importantly god versus satan and it's not a fair fight god is sovereign but the but but the opposition to the gospel in our day is as it always has been satanic since today's message began as one sermon and now is divided into two parts to be separated by another text i thought i would just give you the outline that i had first prepared for these 13 verses that begin Romans chapter 12. First, a living sacrifice is fully committed. The point being, if you offer your body to the Lord as a living sacrifice, you're all in. There's no playing around. You are following Him no matter what. Second, we are made to serve one another. So no big heads allowed. You don't get to say, well, I'm most important. Now, all of the text about uh, the the gifts of the Spirit remind us that God is the one who gives the gifts. Interestingly, the three primary texts, God gives the gifts in this text, um, Jesus gives the gifts in Ephesians, and the Holy Spirit gives the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, The Trinity is involved in these gifts that we are given. And the gifts that we are given are never intended to exalt us, but rather to exalt the Lord and to serve one another in love. And that's the third point. Loving one another is our only hope of flourishing according to God's design in a fallen world. We can only do so much. With the world, but we are called, as Ricky prayed, to love those who don't love us. We are called especially to love those who are in the body of Christ. And we'll talk about all of this in two weeks. Much of what I say today will be just as the clips from Hamilton that I use stating the obvious. But the good news is, I'm going to be referencing Scripture. Before we get to the text, though, would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads and pray with me and ask God's blessings on our time in His Word? Our Father, um, we give thanks to You for loving us in the ways that we have learned over these last many weeks from the book of Romans. And we pray that as we today begin to think about dedicating our lives to you and the ways that the, the, the beautiful mercies of God and the blessings of God that have been given to us should shape the way that we think and the way that we act. May our hearts be fully committed to you. May we not be timid as opposition to the gospel increases, but may we boldly and only in the power of Christ And in the humility of Christ, boldly stand our ground without seeking resistance. We're not wanting to be people who are bold in the way that many are bold politically today. But to show the love of Christ that has made such a difference in our lives and be able to give a reason for the hope that is within us as as has already been prayed. Speak to our hearts this morning from Romans 12, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, since we have spent quite a bit of time these last many weeks in the book of Romans, you may recall that there are very few imperatives or commands in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Almost everything up to chapter 12 is is spent informing believers of the riches that are theirs in Christ. The Apostle Paul, though, is about to make up for lost time in in Romans 12 to 15, one command after another, based on what we know about who we are in Jesus. Now, here's what we're to, to do. Let's read the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... perfect. Paul's appeal to the Romans is an urgent appeal, as some of your translations indicate. His appeal is based on the mercies of God. Is the therefore of Romans 12:1 referencing what Paul has written just recently in Romans 11, or is it based on all 11 chapters? Uh, The answer is probably yes. Just think of the mercies that we've considered over these last few months. We used to be, in Adam, condemned because of our sins, uh, because of his sin and ours. But God sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life and die as a perfect substitute to pay for our sins. And when we repent of our sins and we trust Jesus' death on the cross as payment for our sins, then we are saved to eternal life. We're adopted out of Adam's family and placed into Jesus' family. And we will never again be under the sentence of condemnation. Because we are in Jesus, sin no longer has ultimate power over us. Our baptism reminds us of our union with Jesus. There is challenging news though, even though we're no longer in Adam, he hitched a ride and is still in us and thus we will struggle with sin and we will sin until the day we die. And even this is a mercy. Romans 7 is a mercy because we begin to see sin as God sees sin and what an important thing for us, especially as we move forward in increasingly troubled times. We are, because of our struggle with sin, driven to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit who does through us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's the the beautiful message at the beginning of Romans 8. And then at the end of Romans 8, as Ricky Lee, Pastor Ricky Lee, shared with us so beautifully last week. God will never forsake us because of Jesus. We belong fully to Him. What a mercy. I'm not going to recount the mercies of Romans 9, 10, and 11, but I will say that these three chapters of Scripture have fascinated more have fascinated me more than any other place in scripture over these last 2 to 3 years. No wonder Paul broke out in full-throated doxology at the end of Romans 11. Therefore, he says in Romans 12:1, "I urgently appeal to you, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's many mercies, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now you would think that Paul would say, present your hearts to the Lord, but he goes with bodies. That's consistent with Romans 6, where Paul urges us to yield our members to God and to not give in to sinful impulses. Don't let your hands and your feet and your eyes and your ears take your places You ought not to go. Our union with Christ is not just in our hearts and minds. It's played out with every aspect of our our being. You may have trusted Christ when someone urged you to give your heart to Jesus. Paul urges you at this point as a believer to give your body to God. So what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? I'm sure you have heard the trouble with a living sacrifice is is that it keeps crawling off the altar. Indeed, that is true. But, But think about the idea of our bodies sacrificed for the Lord's service, for God's glory, for honoring Jesus Who has done so much for us. Since we are called to be living sacrifices. Paul is not encouraging us to do harm to ourselves. Or or to even unnecessarily put ourselves in harm's way. And I, I think a lot of people confuse boldness with unwise witness. He is though calling for death to self, a sacrifice in the service of God and of others. As many of you served last weekend through GCC together, thank you everyone who served and everyone who served through prayer and other ways. And and as many of you serve every day of your lives. So in a day where... Every positive word or deed is applauded by people who agree with us. Does the temptation increase to serve for man's approval? I know it does for me. It's not the approval of others we should seek, though. Paul urges us To offer ourselves as living sacrifices because it is our spiritual worship. Now the word spiritual comes from the Greek word logikos, which sounds a lot like our English word logical. Although there are many good arguments for for the English translation of spiritual worship, I'm going to go with reasonable worship. That's an important thing for us to understand in our day. Look, maybe one of the reasons God led Paul, the Holy Spirit led Paul to use a word like this is because of its multifaceted uses. It, you, you can use it in a lot of different ways. It has a lot of layers of meaning. But in, to think about today, the the world considers our message unreasonable because we would keep people who love each other from each other. It, it's just one of many things. But they consider the, 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 the requirements that God makes of His children to be unreasonable. I think not. It is reasonable worship to which we are called. It, it, is it reasonable to offer your body to the service of the Lord in the manner that Paul urges in Romans 12:1, regardless of the cost? What depends on whether you believe everything that we have learned so far in the book of Rome? Really, it's dependent on whether you believe this book from Genesis to Revelation. If you believe this book, it is reasonable to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. I'm not saying that if you believe... God's Word fully, you will always live as you were called to live. Remember Romans 7, but also remember Romans 8, where we're told that the Holy Spirit lives in us, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in those of us who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. If it is true, as I think it is, that the Word-filled life is the Spirit-filled life, then how our minds are shaped will determine how we live. Before we think about transformation of our minds, though, I want us to first think about some of the implications of offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. When we surrender to the Lord in this way, we are acknowledging far more than the three truths I'm going to mention here, but at least these three, beginning with... God is greater than you and has the right to do with you what He wills. My body, my business, that message is not from Scripture. Fortunately for us, This is the God that we were reminded of last week at the end of Romans 8. In a day where most, most of us are screaming to be heard and accepted. Not only do I need you to listen to me, I need you to agree with me, I need you to affirm me. In this day, it is good for us to remember that He is the Creator, we are the creatures. But we are His creatures, and we are urged to give all we are to Him. Why? Because of His mercies to us. Even though God could demand our submission, He urges us to willingly offer ourselves to Him. The second implication of what it means to be a living sacrifice is... You willingly put your entire life into His hands, knowing that following Jesus leads to a cross. It's not been that long since we heard from Jesus in the farewell discourse telling His disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The servant is not greater than the master. The level of suffering we will be called to endure in the coming years might not be physical suffering. But then again, it might. And we're not ready. I'm not ready. I hate pain of any kind. I avoid pain as inten- as, as, as as passionately as I can. We're not ready. I don't think, I'm going to speak more directly about this next Sunday. Suffice it to say that a sacrificial life implies suffering, and the New Testament promises suffering for those who will live godly lives. One last implication of a living sacrifice is this. Offering yourself as a sacrifice means that you give up what every human being craves, autonomy and control. Now, autonomy and control may sound redundant, but it's what we want, isn't it? We want it all. We especially want to nobody to be in our business, and we want to have things the way we want them to be. What did you watch this past week? How, how much time did you spend with the Lord as a living sacrifice? How much hope have you put in politics rather than, than in the Lord. What have you thought about those and said about those whose political and or social views differ from yours? Offering yourself as a living sacrifice does not mean that you become an automaton, but it does mean that you cede your perceived autonomy to the Lord's control. Who rules your life? You or Jesus? Look, that that makes me just want to sit down and put my head in my hands. Who rules your life? You or Jesus? Who rules my life? Me. Jesus, A living sacrifice implies that you will make the decision to give him control of your life as many times as you need to every day. The kind of devotion that Paul urges in Romans 12.1 sounds something like worship, doesn't it? It is indeed explicitly identified as such. As our bodies are yielded to his control and we present Jesus to the world with the aroma of Christ becoming the fragrance of life to some and the fragrance of death to others, then we please him. And the sacrifice is a sweet aroma to him. I cannot stress highly enough Brothers and sisters, it is time for us to prepare our hearts for increased consequences for following Jesus in what is becoming an increasingly pagan land. Again, I'm going to talk about that next week. Pagan is one of those words that has a pejorative sense for those who recall that in our land except for a handful of New Age people that have accepted that, gladly accept that. But the comparisons between our society and the Roman society, that gladly considered itself a pagan society, polytheistic society, are hard to deny. Romans 12.2 tells us exactly how to prepare. In Romans one twenty one, Paul said in so many words that the minds of unbelievers were darkened, leading to wrong behavior. In Romans 12.2, he states that the way to godly human behavior is through a transformed mind. Darkened mind, wrong way. Transformed mind, right way. The transformation of our minds and lives can only be accomplished if we choose Not to allow ourselves to be conformed to this world, but rather to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, which will in turn lead to an ability to discern God's will, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This whole series, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) has been about being conformed to the image of Jesus, but again, this can only happen. If we are not conformed to the world or not poured into the mold that the world has prepared for us. There's a mold that the world wants us to fit in. And if we go in there. We're not going to have transformed minds. This transformation of our minds will only occur as we are immersed in the word. Again. Spirit, word-filled life is the spirit-filled life. How do we discern God's will? We know what God's will is in here. Look, I I wasn't going to explain this, but I think this is a good place to say it. Uh, Many years ago, I, 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 I came across literature that helped me a great deal about discerning God's will. We think of God coming powerfully to people's minds and hearts and enabling them to to understand this or that. But how many times in the book of Acts do we see Paul saying it seemed best to us. This seemed good to me. And God shapes our hearts and our minds and then he helps us to discern what is right and wrong. Sometimes God honored those decisions. Sometimes God said, no, that's not the way I want you to go. And he put a block in the way, and they went another way. And Paul wasn't upset by that. Oh, I miss God's will. God's will is found in this word. He's far more interested in who you are than in what you do. So this is where the real work of knowing God's will is done. It's in the word. When you think of... So let's think about this for a moment. When you think about spending time in the Word, what what immediately comes to your mind? A cup of coffee or a glass of tea, perhaps? Sitting alongside your journal. You've got an open journal. You're ready to write. A quiet place in your house, if one exists. Sorry for so many of you who have multiple kids Except that I'm so proud of you. Look, I've got to talk about it. Brothers and sisters, young Christians, marry early. I'm not talking about at 18, as soon as you finish, uh, you're, you're, you're old enough to make your own decisions. But very soon after that, and have a lot of children, that's what God commands us to do. And so many of the people in our land, want nothing to do with God's design. But those of you who have a lot of children obeying the Lord, and if you don't have a lot of children, that's okay too. It's it's okay. I don't mean to say you're being disobedient. I'm just saying, if you have a lot of children, you've been blessed with a number of children, then finding a quiet place is going to be difficult in your house. But maybe you 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 look to walk out to the lake or on the back porch with the sun on your back. And all of this sounds really good to me. I love the early mornings when I got a cup of coffee and I'm not rushed and I'm just sitting at the kitchen table spending time in the Word. The people who first heard Paul's letter read to the church in Rome may have sought similar settings for their meditations. But they understood Paul's words to be a call to arms, even if the battle we're fighting cannot be fought with worldly weapons. If you look at the the, the armor of God in uh, Ephesians 6, much of that armor is prepared for soldiers who are in a defensive posture. Not all of it, but a lot of it is. There is a a, a cost, though, and we need to prepare our minds and our hearts for the opposition that the world gives to transform minds that are committed to the reasonable worship of Jesus. So three implications. First, the transformation of your mind through God's Word cannot be separated from the submission of your body to God's will in your worship of Him. See, this is one of the things that Gnostics in the 2nd century tried to do and Gnostics in the 21st century are trying to do, separate our relationship with God in our minds from that of our bodies. It's all just a spiritual connection that we have with God. Really what you do with your body ...is okay. Or you may put restrictions on your body... ...that the Lord does not put on you. This is the place to state the obvious yet again. You cannot say yes to God... ...without saying no to sin... ...and no to the world. What you watch... ...who you associate with... ...who you follow online, etc. In other words... Where do your eyes and your ears and your feet lead you? You are dead to sin and alive to God. Remember your baptism. You cannot have a transformed mind and yield yourself repeatedly to sinful impulses. And that leads us to the second implication of putting ourselves in a place to have transformed minds. It is impossible to simultaneously be in step with the culture and with the spirit. Now, let me explain what I'm saying here. In 1 Corinthians 9, the apostle Paul wrote about contextualizing the gospel for those who don't know Jesus. Paul was equally skilled with presenting the gospel with those who cared a great deal about The Mosaic Law and those who could have cared less, couldn't have cared less about the Mosaic Law. He was able to adjust his gospel presentation to the audience God gave him at the time of his witness. Some 15 to 20 years ago, many in the evangelical church felt that we were doing a very poor job of contextualizing the gospel. Interest in the gospel was really (laughs) on a downward trend, receding in the land. so evangelical leaders deemed it important that we come alongside unbelievers in their natural setting in an attempt to earn the right to be heard. It was and is a biblical strategy. But did we go too far? Ricky's prayer this morning, I I just kept thinking, wow, wow, wow. Almost everything he prayed was going to find its way into this message. Have we lost our distinction with the world? And we don't know how to be identified with the gospel. We don't know what it means to be a living sacrifice because we care so much about what the world thinks about us and then, we, then we think, oh, well, maybe our hope is political and we're just as loud and as mean-spirited as everybody else is in this environment today. Many believers seem to have difficulty discerning the line between making the gospel palatable to an ungodly cu- culture and accepting at least some of the cultures, radical beliefs that are clearly unbiblical. Where is that line? I'm going to identify some of those beliefs next Sunday that not only threaten our ability to freely proclaim the gospel to the church, but also threaten our freedom as individuals to live as we see fit. I've said several times there's a cost to following Jesus. There is a also, a cost to give an end to the culture. And that cost is far greater, far greater than the cost of following our Lord who died for us. On that cheery note, the final thought always remember suffering for Jesus leads to glory. Offer yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice. We're back to where we began, a living sacrifice. The way that we make sure that we do not side with the culture over the Lord is to be in the Word and allow our minds to be transformed. A biblical worldview or social imaginary is not going to sit well with an increasingly pagan culture. But at least we will be clear about God's truth and about His ways. We may or may not suffer serious persecution in the next decade or so. But short of revival, it is likely that we will suffer at higher levels than we have, even in these late days, become accustomed to. If, though, we recognize what a privilege it is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice in the service of our Creator and Redeemer, we will begin to get a glimpse of the glory that only comes through full dedication to Jesus. May our lives be testimonies of God's grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as um, we close and we'll think about more next week. Pagans locate the sacred in this world. We locate the sacred in you. It's the difference between imminence and transcendence. You became imminent by sending Jesus and the, 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 the glory of God was made manifest in Him. The Word became flesh. And yet we are ever reminded of Your holiness. May we fear God more than we fear man. And may we begin by offering ourselves, our bodies, as living sacrifices to the one who gave up everything so that we might live. It's in his name, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.